today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. You're either living by faith, walking by faith, or you're living in fear. And actually, ironically again, that's the cure for fear, faith. Because what is fear when you peel back all the layers? Is it not the fear of what if in the future? We're living in some crazy times. There doesn't seem to be any direction that you can look where there isn't a message of fear. As Pastor J.D. shares today, if it were not for the hope we have in Jesus, it would definitely be a bleak outlook. But the promises of God are as true today as they were when Paul wrote this letter. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Titus chapter 1 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. I want to talk with you today about both why it is and how it is that we as Christians in these last days can, as the saying goes, keep on keeping on. All one need do is consider all the hardship and the difficulty that the Apostle Paul went through. We have actually a a pretty detailed list when he writes to the Corinthian church about all the times that he was shipwrecked and beaten and whipped and stoned and left for dead and all of the things that he went through. And from that, the question arises of how. How was the Apostle Paul able to endure all that he endured to the end? Thankfully, today's text in writing to Titus, Paul answers the question of both why and how he persevered, endured, and never gave up, kept getting back up, even after being left for dead. Our text today, which as always, speaks to right where we're at in our lives, And it's because no matter where we're at in God's Word, God's Word's alive. And it speaks to where we're at in our lives. And such is the case with Titus here today, in the sense that our text speaks to exactly where we're at in the world today, with everything that is happening in the world today. So as I was seeking the Lord about teaching this passage, I sensed that what the Lord would have me to do is just give an encouraging message of hope, because things are getting really hard, yeah? I think you would agree. And as we talked about in the update today, it looks like it's going to get worse, like much worse. (laughs) Yay! But God. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter, some believe it was right after he wrote the first letter to Timothy, 
because we know that 2 Timothy was the last letter he wrote. So he had to have written this prior. So some believe that it was close in proximity to his first letter to Timothy. There's a lot of similarities, as we're about to see in this letter. But you have to understand that when he penned these letters, he is sitting in a cold, dark, damp dungeon. And he knows it's a matter of time before they take his head off. And that's why he writes to Timothy and says, the time for my departure is near, and I know it. But I finished the race. I fought the good fight of the faith. I finished well. And now what awaits me is this crown of righteousness, and not only me, but all of those too who long for His appearing. You know who He's talking about? You and me. The point is this, in Paul's life at this time, it's really hard. And he loves Timothy and Titus so much. He's going to refer to Titus, as we'll see Lord willing next week, as he did to Timothy, his son in the faith, who he loves so much. And what he's saying to them is, guys, I'm not going to be around much longer, and you're not going to have me around much longer. And I want to prepare you in as much as I'm able for what lies ahead for you after I'm gone. It's going to get really hard. Perilous times are going to come, and it's going to be very difficult. But in the first three verses of this letter, he and I know this is the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's like, and I hate to use this phrase because the world has totally hijacked it. I know Arabs shouldn't use the word hijack, but this is the secret to his success. This is how it is. This is why it is that Paul was able to endure to the end. He tells us why, and this is why. And these are four ways that I found. You might again find more, but four ways that we as Christians can stay the course, press on, and keep on keeping on as things are likely to get much worse, and they are. The first one is in the first part of verse 1, and it's the furtherance of the faith. After starting out in a familiar way, referring to himself as a bondservant, that's a, a slave who chooses of his own volition to stay with the master, though he could be free. Doulos in the Greek, bondservant, bondslave. He says that his service in Christ is to further the faith. It's almost like you could hear the Apostle Paul saying, this is why I do what I do. You know how they say, it's what I do. <laughs> it's just what I do. You ask Paul, why do you do what you do? It's just what I do. To further the faith. If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the greatest motivators for us as Christians in these last days, this would be it. Namely, that of the furthering the faith of the people of God 
during these perilous times in human history when it's needed the most. The antithesis of faith, would you agree? Fear? He's not given us a spirit of fear. Faith is the antithesis of fear. Faith and fear cannot coexist in the life of a Christian. You're either living by faith, walking by faith, or you're living in fear. And actually, ironically again, that's the cure for fear, faith. Because what is fear when you peel back all the layers? Is it not the fear of what if in the future? And and what is faith? Oh, faith is the substance of things hoped for in the future, and strong word evidence of that which is yet unseen in the future. Evidence. We'll talk about that more at the conclusion. But stay with me, this is very important. The furthering of the faith of God's people in a day that people arguably are riddled with fear because of the uncertainty and with everything that's happening in the world. Think about it like this, as a parent, even a grandparent. Do you want to see your children living in fear? How much would that hurt your heart? How needless, how unnecessary. I think about Jesus in Matthew 6, when He refers to the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. And He says, look at these flowers, look at these birds. Your heavenly Father clothes this flower, feeds that bird. How much more will He provide for you? Oh, you have little faith. And never imagine a harsh tone from the Savior. Never imagine that it would be, oh, you have little faith. No. With a compassion, a love, a gentleness. Just, why is your faith so little when your God is so big? When he would calm the storm, they fear for their lives. And Jesus, again, lovingly, gently, with compassion and kindness, would ask them, why did you doubt? Why did you fear throughout Scripture, time and time again? Be not afraid. Be not afraid. I think about Joshua. Oh, Moses. Those are some pretty big sandals to fill. And God calls Joshua to take Moses' place, and Joshua is terrified. And what does God do? Joshua chapter 1, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous, repeatedly throughout the first chapter. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. I think about the Apostle Paul on that ship, and this is not his first rodeo shipwreck. (laughs) And Luke writes in Acts this detail about how we, all of us, had given up hope of surviving this storm. We includes Luke and Paul, both of whom were on that ship, like this is it. And then 
the angel of the Lord appears to Paul. He appears to Paul and he says to Paul, do not be afraid. Now why would he say to Paul, do not be afraid, unless Paul was afraid? I think this is the word of the Lord to us today. For those who have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church today, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not have little faith because you have a very big God. Don't doubt. Don't doubt. That's the furtherance of the faith at a time when God's people need it the most. Number two, second part of verse one, the knowledge of the truth. Paul adds to the furtherance of the faith, the knowledge of the truth, in the sense that truth is acknowledged when faith is furthered. And by that I mean as we grow in grace and mature in Christ, we're further in our faith, which then leads to the knowledge of the truth. And again, I want to expound more on this here at the conclusion. I would suggest that knowing the truth of what's really going on in the world is what keeps us pressing on in this world, in these last days. I mean, think about it. If you did not know the truth, wouldn't you be like freaking out right now? I mean, is this not what keeps us, and this is not hyperbole, literally, keeps us sane, anchored in the knowledge of the truth, and this word knowledge, I know this is deeply profound. Know, K-N-O-W, ledge, knowledge. Okay, just bear with me. I, I'll try to clean that up here in a moment. This brings us to our third one. And it's in the third part of verse 1, and it's a leading to godliness. Here, Paul takes it further adding that furtherance of the faith and the knowledge of the truth will lead to and produce godliness. That's how it works. It should be noted that the knowledge of the truth that Paul speaks of comes packaged with the specificity of God's word of truth. Again, stay with me. In other words, one can know a truth without knowing the truth. That's not a play on words. I can know a truth. That's true. That's truth. But it's not necessarily the truth. Because see, we know who the truth is. Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, a truth, a life. There's many paths. No, there's not. There's only one way to the Father, and there's no way except through Him. Oh, that's so narrow-minded. Well, wide is the path. 
Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many go thereof. But the narrow gate, the narrow path that leads to life, only a few, only a few. Well, I wanted to leave enough time for this last one in verses 2 and 3, and it sort of seals the deal, if I can say it like that. It's this hope, hope of eternal life. We refer to this hope of eternal life as our blessed hope. But here in these verses, Paul takes it to a whole new level. Don't you find it interesting that the Holy Spirit would inspire Paul to include this detail of God made this promise, and oh, by the way, God can't lie. It's not God won't lie, because the inference is that He could. No, it's like He can't. Try as He may, it's impossible. God can't lie. Now why is that important? I mean, it might at first read seem like a firm grasp of the obvious, but it's not. What Paul is saying here is, God has given you His Word. God has made you this promise. What promise? The hope of eternal life. You could take it to the bank. Actually, don't take it to the bank right now, because they'll scan your forehead. But to me, the, the strength with which Paul writes this, when he says that God doesn't lie, he, he can't lie. He's, he's made you this promise. This promise is yea and amen. So be it. It's a done deal. And the reason I am wanting to highlight this is because of the aforementioned emphasis on the word no. Because when you refer to it, and nothing wrong with referring to it as the blessed hope, but the problem in that is that it can kind of carry with it this idea of, I sure hope so. I sure, I sure hope. I'm really hoping. No, that's not what this hope is. This is the hope like the truth because of the promise from God, who can't lie. So it's more like this. It's not like, well, is, is that what you're hoping for? Oh, it's better than that. I don't just hope. I know. I know. How do you know? No, I know. It, it, it's the knowledge of the truth the knowledge I know, <laughs> and that's why I have the hope. Now, if the word no means what it means, which is no, again, I know deeply profound, then wouldn't it stand to reason that we should be able with an absolute certainty to know that we have eternal life? In other words, the jury's not out. The verdict is in. We can know. There's no doubt. There's no question mark. There's no wondering. There's no ambiguity. There's no uncertainty. 
That's First John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may, wait for it, no, no, that you have eternal life. Pastor, why are you so upset about this word no? <laughs> I'm not upset, maybe a little bit. It is of paramount importance to know the importance of no. Because if you don't know the importance of no, then what's coming is going to blow you away if you don't know. If there's even just a little bit of a, a doubt, well, I don't know. You're in big trouble. You, you don't know? No, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. No, you, you need to know. You may know. You don't know? No. N-O on the last no. <laughs> so do you know, <laughs> K-N-O-W, why Paul was able to endure all that he endured? And would you agree, by the way, that what Paul endured would make what we're enduring and may yet future endure look like nothing? Right? So I think that he's earned the right don't you, to teach us, if we're teachable, the, again, the secret to his success in being able to endure. Obviously, uh, Paul was on to something, right? As we like to say it, do you know something I don't? Well, in this case, maybe, maybe so. Well, what do you know? Here's what I know. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. You know this verse. If you're anything like me, and I would suspect that you are, you don't like this verse. <laughs> I know for a pastor that's kind of bad, but I actually have to confess that early in my Christian life, I hated this verse. Is that bad? I know it's strong, but it's true. I'm just being open with you. Because I couldn't quite wrap my mind around what James was saying here. He says, consider it pure joy, joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Stop right there. Surely it cannot say that in the original language. So let's do a study of the Greek. I think this is a, a poor translation from the original manuscripts. And really what James should have said was, consider it pure hell, my brothers and sisters. <laughs> We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Titus after he was released from prison. One of the themes we read about is how belief impacts the decisions you make. Paul had immense faith in God, and that even impacted his attitude in the midst of difficult circumstances. Oh, to have that kind of belief... If you haven't yet found a church home, we'd like to encourage you to make that a priority. A church family can be a source of comfort and support and, most importantly, faithful prayer warriors. Church is a place you can serve and encourage others, too. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join our church family. 
At Calvary Chapel Kaneohe, we meet on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings, as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. You can also find Pastor J.D.'s ABCs of Salvation there. This is a great tool to share the simplicity of the gospel message with friends and family. Again, that website is calvarychapelkaneohe.com. As we continue to study wisdom from the book of Titus with Pastor J.D., we hope you've been encouraged to live out your faith in a new way. We encourage you to keep diving deeper into the Word, and we hope you'll join us next time right here on In Spirit and Truth.